Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to the Coach Menachem Show tonight. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful hot Sunday night in the summer here. And uh, again, thank you for joining us tonight. It's Shear 148, and we're very happy to be here. And again, I will start off every week thanking everybody who joins us every week and for promoting on the WhatsApp statuses, letting people know about it, emailing it around. As uh, we say, this is the Sikhs Kaverim, a place to talk through very important, vital issues. And I think we've cut a, cover, covered quite a bit of ground, and tonight we're going to cover a little bit more. We're going to go a little deeper with Rabbi Bloom. That's why he's here. He's deep. So again, if anybody wants to join uh, to get the flyers every week, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. Or you can go to MenachemBurnfeld.com and you sign up for his emails. He emails you the speakers, the flyers, the recaps of the Shirim. Everything gets posted on Shem on YouTube, on all the all the podcast channels, Spotify, Apple. You name them, Kalalashin, they're all there. So uh, please join, join us, sign up. This will be posted on YouTube later tonight. What time? 2.32 a.m. What time you upload it? Around there. And if you sign up, you can click on the like button so we get likes and you can subscribe. And every time a new share is uploaded, you get notified. So please join us. We're going to start off first with thanking our advertising sponsors over here in Lakewood. One second. Give me one second. First over here, always promotes us everywhere here in Lakewood is the Lakewood Scoop. Thank you every week for promoting us. Sorry, I'm just having the computer is frozen. Okay. One sec, one sec. Okay, first of all, thank you all the advertising sponsors of Lakewood Scoop for promoting us here in Lakewood, Ellie Nara from 510 Central, and special thank you to Chayla Kaufman from JCN for always promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms and from Matzav as well. The Coach Menachem shows collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater help and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health Support of the Jewish community on OK Clarity, you'll find the best therapist, coach, and nutritionist, and engage in forms and stay inspired. Um, if you want to sign up for their WhatsApp statuses, you can WhatsApp them at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. And Menachem and will send the links on the emails to sign up for all their programs. Again, if anybody's here the first time, we're doing this every Sunday night, almost four years. So get with the program. Join us. We have the different rabbanim, different therapists. We bring the best of the best. It was actually supposed to be this week, Rabbi Yosef Greenfeld from Lakewood. And uh, last minute on Friday, he let us know that he had a big emergency. And hopefully he'll be here at the end of July, July 23rd, we have him down for. So just to everybody let, to let everybody know, we reached out to Rabbi Bloom Friday afternoon. And this is, we're winging this year. So keep that in mind. And um, thank you, first of all, Rabbi Bloom, for coming on so last minute. And next Sunday, July 9th, July 9th, we're going to have one of the best Rebbeim probably of all time. His name is Rebbe, from Waterbury, Rebbe Yosef Sunshine. He's going to be at 9.30. He's, the topic he's discussing is the art of trust, communicating with teens as they're emerging adults, how to build that relationship of communication with them. He's supposed to be an unbelievable speaker, and we're very excited to have him. And Metchem should be a powerful and deep program. Please join us. Let everybody know about it. And we're going to start our first tonight with our CEO, president of the Let's Get Real team, Arnoy Fried to give us the gematria of tonight's shear, 148, and how it ties into what we're talking about. Shear number 148, the topic which we're going to be discussing is keeping Kedusha at the heart of marriage from an attachment perspective, 
how to effectively communicate in a marriage. So we came up with the gematria of 148 is gematria like the Gemara says in the Chassid should always pray for Eis Metzoyin the Gemara Dashin the Pasuk in Mishlei Motzah Isha Motzah Toy if you found the woman you found good so if we could all concentrate on the positive 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 qualities which we have the positive qualities which our spouses have I'm surely I'm sure that will be a key tool to effectively communicate in a marriage beautiful yeah, beautiful Gematria okay we're going to start our first with Coach Vanachem Coach Vanachem open it up Interesting topic. What are we doing here tonight? What are we talking about? What are we trying to get at with Rabbi Bloom? Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone, to another Shir. And let's get real with Coach Menachem. We're happy to have back Rabbi Elazar Bloom. And it's really to continue the conversation. Uh, we've had many different programs on marriage. We've had on EFT. And I feel this is something that we could take it to the next level. Just the idea of marriage. Many people struggle. And then there are others that, you know, with the, all the shurim and the feedback that I'm getting, it's, it's really, it does, it does have a good feeling to see that people are going for help. People are learning new things. People are seeing things from different perspectives. And it does make a change. Some people are some people are in a situation where they think, you know, more information, more this, what's it gonna help me? But there are those who have taken the information, gone to the next step, reached out for help, and slowly, you know, the feedback is is really amazing. Bar Hashem and Hashem should help continue to help all of us, all of us that we need it. Truth is we all need it to grow. We're all here growing. And the question is only how, where to figure that out. But marriage itself, you know, many people go into marriage as if, you know, it's beautiful. And hopefully most people start that way, start off on the right foot. And um, the question is, do we really understand our spouse? Do we really get to know them, how they work? What do they want? What makes them tick? And then uh, we turn it around to ourselves. So there's just a self-awareness to become aware of, of what do I need? What am I looking for? What am I trying to fill, fill up and it's not filling up? What do I really want? And then obviously what we're gonna be discussing tonight a little bit, just beginning, we discussed the last time, the effective communication, which is olive based to learn how to understand yourself, your spouse, how to get the message across, how to get your needs, but, you know, many people find themselves in a, in, a, in a really hard place, thinking it's just not working. I've done a lot of work already. I don't see where this is going to change. And uh, they're, they're, sometimes they feel very lonely. You know, good people. They, they believe they've done everything they could. And uh, they don't see any way out. So they're like sitting by themselves. And then sometimes they reach out to other things that are not so kosher. They fall into different places, which um, they think are going to fill them up, which maybe it feels like that for a while, but it doesn't. It just makes things worse. And um, this is something we will be discussing tonight in Mitzvah Shem, whether whatever addiction it is, just to fill up that, that, that hole, that black place that the person feels like. 
And uh, before we start, Mitzvah, we should have Larisiyat Deshmaya. Um, just whatever comes up, whatever questions you have, send them in, ask them live, so that we can learn, we can know where we are to take it to the next level, and Mitzvah get closer, closer to what we need in our marriage, and ultimately in our tough kid on this world, on this world. Beautiful opening. So before we start, um, tonight's sheer was sponsored actually by another podcast because they wanted us to promote. It's called The Jews Next Door. It's the podcast. And their special guest is Rip Shimon Russell, who's uh, one of our regulars, who, uh, as anybody knows, and Coach Menachem Shimon Russell had some big programs on our program. And they had an interview with uh, Rabbi Yair Mechal. A lot of topics they covered is why is good attachment with children so important, the pillars of the core essence of self, why it's so important in parenting. So the, basically, the I'm going to read a little bit what it's about, and then everybody should go listen to it. It's it's, it's an amazing uh, podcast. In general, parents can be you know parents parenting can be challenging, and children don't come home with an op, with an operating manual. This challenge is magnified when adding our Jewish values and raising children to be passionate and committed about Yiddishkeit and Jewish about developing their relationship with Hashem. In order to tackle this challenge, we need to make sure that we as parents are prepared to handle each level of our children's needs, enable our children to become passionate and committed. Yidin. Check out the podcast called Jews Next Door Podcast, right? Available on all platforms, YouTube for weekly episodes and experts in the field. Special guest this week is Rav Shimon Russell, one of our past guests. We had tremendous, tremendous, uh, one of the shirim that we had with him literally had like two, three hundred thousand views. It was, went around the world. So please listen to it. And the topic again is raising strong and resilient children. And Menachem is going to email uh, email email out all the links and all the information about it. So definitely take take the time. It should be very very helpful. I'm going to read Rabbi Elazar Bloom's bio, and then um, instead of just giving him the the floor, I'm going to ask him a question and I'm going to let him open it up with, with a question. Rabbi Bloom, I'm going to read your bio. You'll tell me if it's updated since, okay? <laughs> Rabbi Elazar Bloom is a licensed psychotherapist and specializes in marriage counseling and parenting consultations. He's a sought-after speaker and award-winning educator. For the past 16 years, maybe 18 years, he has been teaching and counseling others to enhance their relationships, work towards their goals, and lead lives of joy and purpose. Rabbi Bloom has thousands of hours of clinical ex experience counseling teens, young adults, parents, and couples. He has received city, state, and national recognition for his role as a teacher, mentor, and counselor. He has regularly sought out speaks on topics related to marriage, parenting, education, and emotional well-being. In addition to being licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Florida, he currently serves as an educational consultant and teacher mentor. He holds a dual master's degree in Jewish studies and marriage and family therapy. Rabbi Bloom is recognized as a clinical fellow of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, AAMFT, if anybody wants to look that up, and as professional members of the American Counseling Association. He has additional certifications from the Beck Institute for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT, and Imago Relationship International, which we happen to have done a share on Imago, by the way. Him and his wife, Rivka, have been blessed with five children, and they live in the beautiful state of Hollywood, Florida. And I'm going to start off with a question, Rabbi Bloom, and take it away. Okay. Rabbi Bloom, the first question we're going to start off with is... What do you got? What do we got? Menachem. First question is that a couple sent in a question. We just got married, and Baruch Shem, things were fine. Everything seemed to be going very smooth. The chasana was nice. The Sheva Baruchas was smooth. It was going to be an easy, seemed like an easy transition. And they just started to encounter some difficult situations. Um, they want to know if that means they need therapy. What do they reach out to? How do they deal with it? A young married couple that starts starts getting their first into their first uh, little debate. Okay. So just backing up a bit, 
And first of all, I want to just express my appreciation to you gentlemen for bringing me back out. And um, I'm really excited about being with you tonight. What I notice a lot is when a couple comes to my office, there's often a lot of shame that they're there, right? If I'm seeing somebody, whether it's in the first year or the 10th year, and I ask them, you know, how do you feel about being here today? A lot of times the response that I'll get is, well, I hope this helps, but I can't believe that we're here. Like, there's this sense of like, what's wrong with us? What is wrong with us that we haven't been able to make this work? And that's, that's challenging, right? It's because if you're already showing up in a therapist's office and you believe that you shouldn't be there, there's so much emotional, um, emotional turmoil that has to be dealt with even by, for the fact that you're there. And if this couple that you're describing in the question is asking about therapy, it's like we're experiencing issues. Do we need a therapist? You can hear even in the question itself, at least I can hear, is there's something wrong with going to therapy. There's something wrong with reaching out for help, for support. And that, is, I think that itself is problematic. Because if you think about what marriage is about, it's at the heart of something that is huge. And what it's at the heart of is that Hashem created a world that is broken. As a human being, if you're walking around and from the moment the child really enters the world, he already or he, feel, he feels broken. He feels, he feels like things are not as they are supposed to be. There's something wrong here. They look around, they see suffering. They look around, they see problems. They experience pain. And there's a sense that there is something not right about what's happening here. And that's not a bug. That's actually part of how this world is created. This world is created in a state of shvira, a state of brokenness. The concept, the, the Kabbalistic concept of shvira sakelim, that's this place is broken shells. And we're here to rectify it. That has to be the backdrop of the context for everything that we are doing. That the human experience is one that is existentially difficult. It's a hard place to be. And that's, that's, that needs to be recognized. So when a couple is experiencing a challenge in their relationship, they should realize that you're at the heart of this rectification pro process because everything revolves around the yichud between a chassan and kala. Everything revolves around what's happening in that, the creation of that, the connection between a husband and wife, the whole family, and everything that comes from that. You are trying to create unity in a place of fragmentation. And because of that, you are going to encounter challenges. That's not a problem. That is exactly what is supposed to happen. You're moving from a state, we mentioned the word you have that you found a woman you found good you're supposed to be moving from a state of low tov to a state of tov you're moving from a state of disconnection or fragmentation to a state of good to a state of connection to a state of unity and that's at the heart of everything that we are doing here as human beings 
It's like the, it's the nucleus of everything and everything emanates out from there. So if a couple struggling with finding unity, finding shalom, finding peace within them, within their relationship, uh, of course, how, how, could it, how could it be different? How could it be different that you are, you are embarking on this brave, courageous project to bring harmony in a place that's broken and fragmented and you're not gonna encounter difficulties? So for this young couple that is saying, uh-oh, it was going pretty well, but now I noticed this and I noticed that, they, sh they need to be told, they should know that is exactly, that's part of the plan. That's, that's a feature. That's not a bug in the system. That's a feature. And when you have that context, if you imagine that young couple, they can maybe take a breath. Okay, yeah, remember the rabbi told us that it's going to be hard because we're doing something amazing. And we're two different worlds. We're Zanukva, we're Zachar Nekeva, we're Chosan and Kala, where we are two different, two different realities coming together to fuse and create synergy, to, to, to unite. And we're supposed to emanate from our unity to emanate out to our children and to our communities and to the whole world. Of course, we're gonna experience challenges in that. How could we not? How could, how, could, how could we not experience some difficulties? And there should be an honor and, and like we should be applauding people that are reaching out. How courageous you are, how brave you are to embark on this project and then to, to know that, that, that it's okay, whether it's a rabbi or a therapist or someone that outside of your, your world that can give you some guidance and help you understand where you're missing each other help you understand where maybe the blocks are, because again, you're two different realities that are merging. And let me help, let's, let's make this happen for, the, for you, for your families, for your communities, and for the, for the entire world, because we, we are in a grand rectification project. And at the center, at the nucleus of that is the chasen and kala. So that's, that's a different frame. So then they come in and there's like, there's no shame in this. This is how it's supposed to be. And I, and I think other therapists are, are kind of stuck in this place that by the time they come to my office, there is so much down, there's so much already that has happened that we then have to like start to peel things back and, and start to create the safety and that it's okay to be here. And let's understand and let's see where you're, to get away from the shame that they're there. We can do better in, in preempting that. Um, so I really recently, one of the things I think we need to do is psychoeducational stuff like you guys are doing, like Butch Menachem, Usher, the team is doing, is being preemptive. Showing up from the get-go and saying, okay, guys, well, let me, let's tell you, this is going to happen. And we've got these great people out there that can support you because we're doing this together. We're all in the same boat, moving towards Geula, moving towards redemption, moving towards unity. And we're all doing this together. That's why this show is so beautiful and I'm so appreciative. So I recently myself put out a podcast to get the word out, to get out the, the idea that, you know, to give people access to this information so they don't have to show up in a therapist's office with shame. They should show up in a therapist's office or anybody else's office, but without the shame to know that this is okay. So a little plug for myself, Relationships Revisited. It has some of the information that, Hopefully we'll um, share tonight. And again, another resource that's out there to help couples and to lead us all to the place that we are des destined to go together, okay?
So the couple that shows up and is one, it's like, yeah, it's okay. Well, the therapist is great. You want to go to rabbi, a therapist, whatever you need, because you guys, you're doing something beautiful here. Let's help you out. It's a much lighter question. Okay, Rabbi Bloom, that's a nice opening. Let's get into some questions over here. We'll take some polls. Mm -hmm. um, give me a second over here. Okay, so again, we're going to take a, a polls from everybody. We'll see what everybody's holding. Um, again, the tonight's topic is really it's two parts. Really, it's again keeping kedusha at the heart of the marriage from an attractive attract attachment perspective, right? Talking about kedusha, looking at inappropriate things, going to inappropriate places, and how to effectively communicate in marriage. Those are the two topics that are a little bit tied together. Okay. So I'm going to start with that. And again, we have the supposed to have Rabbi Bloom here. Anybody who has a question, please text me uh, on the chat. And live questions go first. Let's start with the poll. Here we go. Okay, everybody sees it. Okay, three questions. How do you prioritize quality time with your spouse? Three options. We regularly schedule dedicated quality time together. So it's pretty scheduled, right? We spend the quality time together. We try to spend time together whenever our schedule, whenever our schedules align. We struggle to find time quality find time for quality time due to other commitments. Be honest. <laughs> okay, number two, which communication style best describes your relationship? Number three options. We have an open and honest communication discussing both joys and challenges. We communicate effectively most of the time, but there's an occasional difficulties. Number three, we find it challenging to communicate openly and often encounter misunderstandings. So communication is definitely you know, a hard thing for the third option. Number three, how do you address challenges related to inappropriate situations within your marriage? That would be pornography or going to inappropriate places that are not good for marriage. How do you, how does people that, are, how do you and your marriage deal with that? Three options, implementing accountability measures to prevent access to explicit content or places. Number two, engage in open, non-judgmental conversations regarding these issues. Or number three, is seeking professional guidance, counseling, or therapy to explore the deeper emotional and relational issues regarding that. Everybody, please vote. Rabbi Bloom, we're going to let everybody vote. We're going to share the polls with everybody, and then we're going to try to tackle one by one if that's okay. Sure, with pleasure. Rabbi Bloom winging it. <laughs> I'm loving it. So while everybody votes, I'm just going to say something. So we, Rabbi Bloom was on this year. It was probably about two years ago, give or take. Yeah, yeah, year and a half. It was one of our, one of our definitely top, top 10 year. It was very powerful, very deep. Oh, and then Rabbi Bloom started his, his podcast. I hope we were an inspiration for him. You were. I said it. I said it five minutes ago. And um, 10 years ago. Yeah. We started a lot of podcasts. So we're very happy about that. Yeah. Okay. Five more seconds, and I'm going to share the polls. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, let's share the results. Okay, very cool. How do you prioritize quality time with your spouse? 23% of the people say they're very scheduled, they, they, they have dedicated time, and they're pretty scheduled. By the way, one, one of the best words I've heard on the share is how do you commit to dedicated time? Because yeah. you prepay the babysitter for like three months in advance, they come every Tuesday night, whatever it is. So you know that if you already paid for it, you're going to go. Great hack. Great hack. That's great. Yeah. Great line. Mm -hmm. um, second option is we try to spend time together whenever our schedules align. Mm -hmm. And the third option is most people voting 41%. We struggle to find time for quality time due to other commitments. 
Mm-hmm. You want to comment anything on quality time, spending time together? What? And, and not only that, I want to take it another level higher. Yeah. What does it actually mean? Everybody says, go spend quality time. What does it actually mean? It's a very nice line, but I want, I want you to explain in detail what it means. Because believe it or not, after we did a program on spending quality time, a lot of people emailed, what does it exactly mean? It means going out and eating trauma and going home? Does it mean watching a movie together? It depends, right? So the quality time depends on what, what brings a couple to together to feel like they're enjoying space. For some people, that can be going out to dinner together. That's quite common. But some people are uncomfortable with that direct conversation. It's a little bit too intense. It's not so. So maybe it could be an activity where you're going, you're going bowling. It's something you're doing together, but side by side. It's more an activity based. Um, so you're really, this is the part of the, you know, what you enjoy doing together, speaking about communication. It's like, how do you have that conversation? Right. So a lot of couples can't even have that conversation and therefore they can't find what they like to do together because they they are unable to make to to um, figure out how to actually have the conversation which gets them to this to the place that they're enjoying that quality time. Um, but again, it really depends on the couple. It really depends on what where they're able to connect, and that is different. Some people like more direct conversations. Some people like dancing. Some people um, enjoy going bowling. Some people enjoy um, going out with other couples, maybe that helps them in some ways. What helps them move into a space where they feel safe with one another and it feels less of a burden and more of something we look forward to, which I think it's probably why people struggle to find time for quality due to other commitments. Those, those other commitments sneak in because the quality time doesn't feel good. People don't do things that don't feel great. And then they find excuses to, in a sense, justify why we don't have time for it, because there's a part of them that probably really wants to be and feels like they should be doing that. At the same time, it doesn't always feel great. It doesn't always go well. So other commitments make it easier to avoid um, that uncomfortable situation. So it's really finding things that that you enjoy doing together. And so, if you can't... Just to clarify, so if a couple enjoys doing things together, but if they're not so communicative during that time, they both enjoy going to a movie, but they're not really, that's considered a quality so, fun? It could be. I think a movie is less because it's a very passive experience. An active experience of, let's say, playing tennis or you're engaging, you're still engaging more with one another. A movie, you're sitting there in front of a screen and you're just, you're basically imbibing whatever that, that's the most direct relational experience is not with each other, but with the screen. If you're going bowling, okay, you're knocking down pins, but you're commenting each other's shots, you're joking around, you know, there's, there's, there's more interaction. The main thing is what's going to facilitate interaction between the, the, between the, the two of them. You're saying even and, when you go out with other couples, the fact that you're all communicating together, you know, it's not such an intimate quality. Correct. That could be easier. That's a, maybe an easier starting place that takes some of the intensity off it. It really depends on where a couple's at. But the main thing is that they should take steps. And for some, they might need to begin with a movie. And that's, that's where their starting point is. Um, but that's not ideal. Because again, the main interaction there is with the screen and not with each other. Okay, let's go to the second question. I want to get a little deeper, just a little in EFT in that, if you don't mind. Okay. Which communication style best describes your relationship? We have an open and honest communication discussing both joys and challenges, 21%. That's the least answered. 42% is the, the rive says we communicate effectively most of the time, but there are occasional difficulties. And 37% of the people we find it challenging to communicate openly and offer encounter misunderstandings. So 
seems like communication, a lot of people here tonight do find it to be difficult. So I want a little to turn into a question. I know we, we did a whole two, two plus hour segment on EFT, but maybe, mm. maybe this can be like a little short segment on, on that. Okay. So I'm speaking to, to, to the 42 and 37%. Okay. So in, in general, if people are having a hard time communicating effectively, all right. And like, for example, the 42% says that we, we communicate effectively generally, but there are occasional difficulties. What would be important to identify is what's at stake in the conversations in the content where, where there are difficulties. And most likely what you'll find there are places where there's, there's more sensitivities, where there's, there's core needs at stake um, in, in those topics. And that's why it's harder to navigate them. Wherever there's more sensitivity, where there's more roots, where there's more unmet needs, that's where you will have a harder time communicating. Because then what often will happen is those conversations will turn more into a power struggle where each person needs their need to be heard. They need them to be seen. They need to be understood, right? But they fear that if I try and understand you, if I try and be there for you, you're not going to be, you're not going to, you're not going to tune into me. Right? They fear that they're going to be forgotten in that, in that, um, in that give and take. So if people are having generally a, 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 a um, success communicating, but there are topics that are hot points, that means that there is probably a lot more at stake there emotionally um, in terms of their, their needs and um, perhaps how they, how they see themselves around those conversations. Um, people that are having challenge communicating in general, we have a hard time communicating openly. That means that into that relationship has crept a lot more, um, a lot more insecurity and lack of safety. And therefore, everything now has with it the danger of being rejected, of being unheard, of being um, unseen, of, of you not getting me. And that's a, a more distressed couple where the insecurity has now spread. So whatever they try and talk about, even if it's where they want to go out for dinner, now is, is laden with so much more um, of... So much more disconnection. So those are, that's why you might see a difference there. The, those are communicating honestly and openly and just discussing both joys and challenges. They've somehow found uh, an intimate space, uh, a, a space of safety where they can be themselves and not have to be as on guard about how they're going to be um, responded to. And things just flow. Wherever there's safety, things flow back and forth with ease, Things flow back and forth with with very little uh, with very little difficulty, so that might be something to consider. Can we just play a little example out. Is that okay? Sure. Which one? The ones uh, about the forty set, the forty two, the thirty seven, twenty one. Let's let's take a hot point. Let's make up a hot point and see how they would communicate. Let's say I'm just came to my head. Let's say somebody doesn't like to go to the in laws because when they go there, they feel that they're very they're not treated properly or whatever it is. Okay. The spouse wants to go to the in-laws for, for a holiday and anytime okay. she brings it up to him or her, it gets a very hot topic. So how could the other spouse have the conversation about when I go, I feel like this, and this is my issue with being respectful both ways. You know what I mean? Okay. So let's say he 
has a hard time going to his in-laws. Let's say the, the, the husband has a hard time going to his in-laws. Um, and he wants to communicate. It's important to his wife that they go to the in-laws for, for Chagim, for Yontif. Um, but for him, it's a challenge. It's a challenge with the in-laws, whatever, whatever is there. All right. So here's a little bit of a, a formulaic response. I, I, I tend to, to go to, to veer away from formulaic responses, but there's a, an approach to communication called nonviolent communication. I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with that. Um, I forget the, the author now, maybe it'll come to me. But nonviolent communication says the, the, the formula for effective communication has a few parts. The first part is for the husband to, to describe what he notices at his in-law's house that is uncomfortable for him. So he would, be, he would say, he just described the behavior. When I, go to your, when I go to your parents' house, I notice that there is a lot of, there's a lot of, it's very loud. I notice that it's very loud. Let's say that's disturbing to him. I notice that it's very loud. And then after he just describes what he notices with no judgment, then he goes to himself and he says, and that makes me feel really overwhelmed because I have a need on Yontif because I'm off work to really have some peace and quiet. So he expresses his need. Okay. So it's, not, it's describing the, the, what you notice that just, the, just the, the facts, just what you notice that's uncomfortable for you, then going to yourself, describing how it makes you feel. And then be, be underneath what you feel that I'm overwhelmed because I have a need for whatever the need is for. I have a need for quiet or, or, or some peace and quiet so I can learn or so I could just have some manuchas and nefesh on, on yontif. So I'm asking, this is the final part of the communication. So I'm requesting what I, I'm wondering if it's okay is if, and then he makes his request. If we go, but from six o'clock, you know, from the evening times, I'm able to go out and learn or able, I'm able to just have, have the several hours of peace and quiet, or maybe we stay in an Airbnb as opposed to, he makes the request that will help her meet his need. As you can see, the focus is really on him as opposed to um, critiquing or describing this place is, a, is out of control, your parents' house, it's, it, it's, it's nuts in there. Have you noticed how, many, how much is going on? If he's going to that and, 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 and evaluating and judging, that will only bring up judgment and defensiveness in his spouse. And then that, that conversation, because her family is important to her. Her family is precious to her. And she will not be able to hear what is underneath his critique of the balagan that's happening in her parents' house. And that's his responsibility. His responsibility is to share what is difficult for him so that she can meet his need and anything that ascribes, that ascribes blame, subscribes blame to his wife or to her family is only going to be met with defensiveness because there's feelings there. Her parents, her, her parents are important to her and being with her parents is important. That will never work. So again, just to review, the nonviolent non communication, you start with the, what you notice that makes you uncomfortable. Then you go to how it makes you feel. Makes, I, I feel overwhelmed because I have a need. What's really important to me is to have peace and quiet. And I'm wondering if then the request, okay? And that request, is, it gives her an opportunity. It says, okay, I get you. Let's, 
it brings it opens up a space for a discussion. And hopefully the couple can then navigate that discussion in a much safer way, as opposed to if it just comes in blaming and uh, critiquing and describing what the problem is and um, with all of the, the, all the excitement that that often, um, that often involves, then things are not gonna get very far. Does that make any sense? Yeah, super clear. Okay. Okay, let's go to the third poll, okay? Yeah. This is the whole other topic. How do you address situations related to inappropriate situations address challenges related to inappropriate situations within your marriage. So there's three options over here. Mm -hmm. Implementing accountability measures to prevent access to explicit content or places. So I guess that, you know, you put filters or you make sure never to go in places, you know, just very structured. 32%. Yeah. yeah. 47% of people said engage in open and non-judgmental conversation regarding these issues. Wow. Okay. Most people said that, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. And 20% said seeking professional counseling or therapy to explore deeper emotional and relational issues regarding these topics. So okay. what's your opinion just in general about that question? I'm just really happy about the second one. I think that's great. That shows, I mean, this you have a, a specific um audience that is probably more tuned into this but that's great because that really is at the core it's yes and yes it's yes and right right certainly implementing accountability measures and filters etc cetera, etc cetera, is really important but that's not that's not at the core of the that's not at the at the at the center here at the center of um a sexual addiction whether it's pornography or anything else is um, a lack of intimacy, a challenge with intimacy. Right? That's what all of these escapes have in common is that they, they um, replicate an experience without any of the intimacy and the, uh, and the risk and the, the courage that it takes to meet somebody in an open, honest space. It's really a deficiency in, in a capacity to be intimate with one another. So Number two of engaging in open and non-judgmental conversations, well, that's really intimate. That's really open. And if a couple can begin to do that, whether it's with professional help or on their own, right? So that that itself is the cure. That's the beginning of the cure, because people don't turn to junk food if they have a, if they have a healthy meal. If they're they're health if they're healthy if they have a healthy meal. They, they want food that nourishes them. You only turn to junk food when that's not available. And I, I, I think what, you're, what the audience is saying is that we get it. If we are able to be open and not judgmental around these issues, right, that's going to be the cure to the junk food diet that, um, that one or both of us might be, might be turning to. Certainly seeking professional counseling or therapy is going to be often helpful if not necessary to deal with um to deal with these issues um and yes that therapist he or she will need to explore the deeper emotional issues that block or that make intimacy and trust um challenging for the couple okay Okay, let's jump on to the first question over here. Okay, I have a few live, but let me just jump into this one first. Um, number one, I've been feeling a bit disconnected from my spouse lately, and I'm not sure what's missing. We have two kids and a busy life, but it seems like something is lacking in our relationship. How could I identify and address why, what might be missing in our marriage from an intimate and an emotional standpoint? Okay, so Usher, you read fast. I want to make sure I get the question. Um, 
if you can just read it one more time for me. All right, go slow. I want to make sure I get I've it. been feeling a bit disconnected in from my spouse lately. I'm not sure what's missing. So there's like a certain feeling of like, you're just not close together. Okay. We have two kids and a busy life. So they're married obviously a few years. You know what I mean, okay. but it seems like something is lacking in the relationship. How could I identify and address what might be missing in the marriage from an intimacy and an emotional standpoint? They just feel nothing major happened. They just feel disconnected. What's going on? It's like okay. we spoke about a little bit in the beginning of the Hassan and Kala, but this is much more deeper into the marriage. Right, right, right. They're just kind of drifting. They're kind of they're kind of parallel living. They're they're living parallel lives. Is that kind of the end? that's what I'm getting in this question? Yeah, okay. that's what's happening. So that's great. First of all, that they notice that and they're not okay with it. All right. The fact that this this couple notices that we are not using our marriage as the resource that it should be, and there's something off. That's great, because many couples um, continue on that for. Who knows how long? And the fact that they're asking this question shows that they are wanting more. Now, the fact that they can't identify what that is, like what it is that they want more, that that's understandable. You know, for many, I mean, let me let me broaden a little bit here. For most of us, many most of us, we are not even before we got married we craved closer relationships, not knowing that we craved closer, closer relationships. It's not obvious. Even before we get married, we, we all want to have, we want to be, we want to connect with others and we want, we want to be seen and be seen by others. And most important, and most importantly, the significant people in our life, our parents, for example, when that doesn't go well, people adapt. People learn how to deal with that. They become independent. They become self-sufficient. They become self-reliant. They take care of themselves, so to speak, right? But there is a part of them that craves, that longs for more connection. When somebody moves into marriage, whether they acknowledge it or not at that point, that is something that they are hoping for, that this will be the person that I can have that experience with. I didn't get it before. I couldn't put words to what I didn't get, but I didn't get it. It missed with mom and dad. It missed with friends. It missed with, with teachers. It, missed, it just wasn't there. I, I want something here. The fact that people then go on the conveyor belt and this is not something that's spoken about. So they just go on with life and they kind of expect maybe that it's just going to happen. And then it doesn't because lives get busy and they're in each of their professions or in their other, other responsibilities. And then children come along and they're still hungry. They're still looking for it. So the first thing that I think can be helpful is that they, like we said earlier, it would be so wonderful if they go to somebody and then that person, whether it's a therapist or something says, you guys want more. It's one. It's great that you want more. It's almost like clapping for them. It, says, it is so good that you are thirsty and that you are not satisfied in your marriage. Can you imagine if someone said that to them like that? They're like, this is good? Like, yes, it's good because you didn't get married to be roommates. You didn't even get married to have children. That's not the, that's not the tachlis. It's a very important thing. But we see from the fact that some couples are unable to have children, right? That Hashem gives us marriage or something even, in a sense, deeper than that. And that is to create a connection, a bond, 
that you both have are longing for. Right, that dveikus with with another human being that can only happen by uh, by a, a, a husband and wife. So the first thing is just that they should be applauded for recognizing this, and then hopefully with somebody that's skilled enough and understands these things, they can start to, you know, take the elevator down in each of their experience and say, well, what ha what's happening in your relationship? What are you noticing? When do you feel most disconnected? What do you do? What tells you that you're not, you're not having the marriage that you want? What gives you this sense of emptiness? If it was working, if it was better, what would you, what would you guys be doing together? How would you be talking with one another? It just starts to ask really open-ended questions to, to explore what they maybe never had a chance to put words to. It, everyone needs a space. Once you give somebody a space, You'd be surprised if it's a loving space, the compassionate space, there's no pressure. Talk if you want to talk. Don't talk if you want to talk. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Once that happens, you'll see that people start to find their words. It's there inside. They've just never been given space. So that's what could help this couple to start to put words to what they're missing and what they're hoping and longing for. Hey, Robert Bloom, let's go to a live question, okay? Sure. Okay, you're on. Oh, just here. Hold on. Let me unmute him. Hi. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I actually recently got married a few months ago, and I have a great relationship with my husband. Um, actually, like a more like of like an intimate. Um, I was wondering like how it works with communication. Um, I find that when we go out, we have like a harder time communicating mm -hmm. and I was wondering like there's like a blockage like sometimes I feel like he enjoys communicating a certain way while I enjoy communicating a different way and even though we have that deep connection I feel like the on the surface there's there's no connection what can I do about that okay so if I'm getting your question you do how long are you married for if I can ask Did you did you hear my did you hear? Or did you mute yourself? Hold on. Okay. Yeah, I'm married for four months. Four months. Okay. So what yeah. gives so you, you have a sense that you have a an intimate connection, but yeah. when you go out just to go out for dinner, you go to talk, it feels like it feels awkward. Yeah, and there's like there's nothing that that there's nothing that's connecting us. Like we'll go for dinner. It's just like we're focusing on food and that's it. There's nothing that like we really like like talk about or really you know have that much in common. Okay. He's more of like a problem solver. He enjoys like you know problem solving. Well, I more enjoy talking and conversing. But it's just like it. I feel like it reaches a dead end all the time. Not okay. in a bad way. You just like. Okay, and the, you said that you but you do sense that there is a connection. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you feel the connection is between you and your husband? Yeah, it's it's just like we have that deep intimate connection where we feel like very connected to each other. Um, there's just there's, there's a lot of love between us and you know just connection, but on the surface, the actual like communicating, um, spending time, quality time together, just yeah, just there's no, and he doesn't really feel it. it's more like me because I more enjoy the talking while uh -huh. he's okay with quiet and you know he's okay with just the deep connection. Uh huh. Okay, 
so when you guys are sitting there together and it's like he you know he's not you're finding that conversation awkward what do you tell yourself do you what do you tell yourself as you guys are sitting there like that so so he's okay like he's at peace with it uh-huh. and he's enjoying himself while whatever he's doing well more like for me it just gets me into a very negative vibe and i just the whole outing just makes me into a very bad mood which sometimes leaves uh, after i, I just I'm also, it just like, it doesn't, takes time till it wears off, sometimes okay. faster than others. Okay. So it's, unco- it tells you, it kind of, you tell yourself that there's something wrong here that we're not able to have to communicate in this way. It's like, it's, do you say to yourself kind of like, he's not going to be able to, to, to be this person for me, that the person that I had this easy flowing conversation with? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like there's no hope. Like, will I ever be able to just have a normal conversation? Right. And it makes sense that you would want that with him because that's how you connect. You, is that how you've always co- kind of connected with with friends or people you've been close with? Has it been via conversation? Yeah, okay. definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's how you're used to connecting with people and you want that with, with, with your husband as well. You have a hard time moving into that space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, so you're married four months, right? And you're just really... I mean, I don't know how, how long did you did you date for a long time beforehand? Did you know yourself well each other? I don't know who I'm speaking with. So did, did you know each other for a long time before that? Um, not really. Not really. So you not dated too for, much, just for like a few weeks, just for like okay. two, three. So weeks. It's a brief, it's a brief shidduch process. So you're really just getting to know each other. Okay. So there's a lot here. You know, there's two ways we can go with this because it's a podcast, and I'm not your I'm not your therapist. Um, I'm not going to go the direction I would normally go if I was, if we mean to, you and you were talking in the office. I will say that sometimes at the beginning, um, there, you might need some scaffolding. You might need some supports, you know, just like really open-ended questions, almost like games. And there's these, there's apps for this and there's Gottman has great stuff, resources that you can start to like find out like almost quirky, interesting things about one another. You know, questions that are that are really open ended and just get to like a person's likes and dislikes and and things about them that are more surfacey. And your your husband might be more okay with that because that's not that's just like getting to know each other and finding out about each other's interests. Your thoughts about like would you if you had your dream house, would you rather live have to have the house in the mountains or have that house in the on the beach? Your dream house and having like really like almost like super silly questions but you just start to learn about each other in a fun friendship kind of way and going through the intense process of 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 a a shidduch process and then and then getting married you know you're starting to build the friendship so just going light in some ways and having some of these um these conversation starters that could be something that you do together and he agrees to that and he's okay with that and it gives you a little bit more scaffolding so that you don't have to work so hard. Because what I would imagine that happens emotionally as, as you guys have a hard time moving into that space, right? You start to become, I would, I would imagine, I'm guessing here, but somewhat anxious. And then as that anxiety starts to, you know, get higher and higher, you're, you know, I, that shuts down the, that, that the conversational flow. Because whether he, re- whether he will put words to it or not, anxiety is pretty contagious. And he'll sense your anxiety. And he wants you to be happy and enjoying her, yourself. So he's most likely getting a little bit anxious himself, even if he wouldn't call it that. 
And as the anxiety levels rise, no good conversation and connection flows in that type of environment. So starting from the get-go and saying like, okay, I'm so much different than you because I connected with my friends by talking and you're kind of like a, 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 a fix-it guy and you're less, less into conversations. Let's do a game. Let's do something fun. I've got some questions. You go online. There's these, these resources. And let's see how that goes. It could be, um, would you rather, I don't know if you've seen these, like these, would you rather, um, you know, like I said, that example of the house in the mountains or house in the beach, would you rather um, drink water for the rest of your life or, excuse me, drink soda for the rest of your life or would you rather um, um, never be able to have soda? You know, something like that, where there's like these cutesy things that you guys can get into a comfortable joking space and it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit lighter. And then as you, as you learn that, it might be, it might open up deeper conversations as you learn that you can do that, that you can talk and it feels good. Because like I said earlier in the podcast, if this, does, this doesn't feel good, this anxiety doesn't feel good, you'll stop doing it. And as you stop doing it, then the distance will creep in and you're less likely to do it, right? You're going to continue to avoid it. And um, so we want to get you started at this early part in your relationship with things that, like, that are easy, you know, putting on some training wheels here because you guys are really just getting to know one another. Um, does that make any sense? Um, yeah, it okay. does. Okay. Yeah. So I are you comfortable? I don't know if you want to check out some of those resources. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Gottman, John Gottman has some good stuff. Um, I've seen a, a few apps. I'm not sure if you have if you have if you do apps, but there's a bunch of good apps for this. Would you rather questions? They're all fun. They, you know, things that move you into easy flowing conversation. I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. It's not with my wife. It's actually with my mother that this happens. My sisters and I, we took my mother out for uh, for her a birthday dinner. And, um, you know, we just kind of did this with her just for fun, just to get the conversation flowing. We asked her, there's so many things. I, I mean, she's been my mother for 47 years, but there's so many things that I learned with these questions and she loved it. And we never spoke about it. We were laughing. It was great. And we don't realize that we think we know somebody because we've lived with them for X number of years or this amount of time, but we really don't. And moving into these, these like almost light conversations, it can be... Um, it can be enjoyable, fun, and then hopefully you and your husband will feel more comfortable in that conversational space and have deeper conversations um, as time goes on. Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for the question. Thanks, everyone. Beautiful. Is it something that they should discuss between each other? The actual, you know, this thing, the fact that it's hard? Yeah, so that's what I said earlier. What I said is that if a couple came to see me, I would want to know more about each of their emotional experience, right? In that moment of you're sitting at a table together, you're looking at each other, you're looking at a menu, you're ordering food and like, what's happening for you, each of you, right? So just to get them to know the reality and then share that with each other. You know, he, 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 he very likely never, never spoke that in that way with another, with another person, right? So he's being thrown into this, into this environment with this woman that he is, learning that he's learning to love and to connect with but he doesn't have a lot of reps of success and skill here so he really needs to you know that that there's anxiety in that he really needs to start to become more comfortable if he was able to give voice to that then she would maybe understand him and 
in that emotion of like, yeah, it is scary for me because I, I want to have a good night out. And I, I, I see that you come sometimes get upset or like I see that maybe you're upset and that makes me a little bit more anxious. And then I kind of become a little bit more quiet. And just having that conversation alone helps them move towards understanding and safety. Um, and that I would do if they're in, in, in therapy, which is a more a little bit more of a deeper process. Mm. Okay. Um, somebody actually emailed me a picture of a, a Jewish game. It's called um, Perfect Matches, an interactive Jewish dating game. They have it. Yeah, it's basically either for dating or after marriage, just a bunch of like, it's in a Jewish form, you know? That's great. Oh, that's perfect great. matches. Okay, great. great. Okay, um, let's go to the next live question. Hold on one second. I'm you. Okay, you're on. Okay, thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. I'm a teacher and I help, I teach 12th grade and I end up getting involved many times with questions that girls ask me. Okay. One of the big ones that have been coming up is based on the first thing you were talking about. Okay. And I like that you said that when someone has a problem um, that is very noisy in your parents' house and I need to unwind and I need to mm -hmm. get my, you know, that's a much easier conversation to have than when the husband is saying, you know, your father really doesn't respect me because he goes to Davin it promptly on time and I go late. Mm -hmm. or your mother doesn't think I help you enough. And the situation gets even more complicated when the wife agrees with her father and her mother. Mm, yeah, sure does. <laughs> How do I advise them in those situations? Okay, so you're bringing up hotter topics, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I get it. So the hotter topics are gonna be hard, a little bit more challenging to navigate, no doubt. But I think that if we're just going back to that same formula, right? It's really encouraging the person that's experiencing the discomfort to give voice to his own or her own experience, to center it in themselves, as opposed to um, judging, evaluating, critiquing um, what the other, what the, what the problem is, pointing the finger, okay? And that, if it's something, let's say, around respect, that, if, that you know, you're, you're, your, um, your father goes to shul on time and I like to be a little bit more relaxed. So does it, let's say the, the behavior that, that, that he witnesses that your father makes comments to me, okay? So he could describe it to his wife. He'd say, you know, because your father goes on time and I go late, when your father makes comments to me about me coming late, I feel, I feel really hurt. I feel really, um, I, I feel frustrated. I feel I feel sad. Whatever the feeling that's there for him, because I have a need to be accepted by your father and by your family. I have a need to be to be um, to to feel like they they that I belong with your family. And so I'm wondering if, and then he makes his his request of his wife, right? Um, and whatever that request would be for him, that would help meet that need that he is that he's that he's. Um, needing to have met. So whatever the issue is, and I, I get your question, that there are, some, there are some topics that are much more sensitive than others, but it's always encouraging the person and helping the person um, center the experience within themselves as opposed to in the other. Because what happens, what most of us are, are, are programmed to do is to expect somebody else to fix 
our situation. And that in a, in a relationship with children and parents, okay, a parent should be expected, especially with younger ones, to help a child, even without the child being able to express their feelings and their needs in this clear way, right? The parent is supposed to try and tune in to the best of their ability to the child and be there for the child for their needs. But when it comes to an adult relationship, the onus of responsibility is on each individual in that marriage to take full responsibility for their experience and to communicate it to the other person so the other person can potentially be there for him or her in that place. So for him, it says, it really hurts me when your father makes those comments. It hurts me because I have a need. I want, I want to be respected. I want to feel like I'm accepted by your family. And then he would be able to, to, to make a request. You could see, I hope you could, I hope you could hear and see I, that that would be easier for her to field and work to partner with him to figure that out than if he is saying, and your father disrespects me and he, 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 you know, he's a real yekka and he's like, and, and just because I'm just like, like, like him, he, he, right. You could see how that energy would, would, um, would impact her differently. So uh, does that make sense? How, you know, regardless of the, what the topic is, what the, the avoda is really about. I hear the avoda, but the, Girls are so, think they figured it all out and they know what's right and they know what the husband should be doing. And her response usually is, so go daven on time and then he'll respect you. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, and I mean, I, we, can, we can see how that's going to go, right? I, uh, I agree with you. Right. I'm asking advice. So, so then, course, then, I wish then, on them and everything. I wish there was some magic wand that I could give them. Well, then it's on her. Like, then we'll just go back to her. Then it's on her side. If she's the one, if she has a need that she wants, what's her, what's her feeling and what's her need? What's, where does she noticing that's difficult for her? That he doesn't go, that, that he doesn't go to, to. Uh, she wants that her father should respect her husband because. Correct. She wants her father to respect her husband. And the way that's going to happen is if he goes to school on time and if he helps a lot, that will help his mother respect him too. Okay. So then she has to go to that place within herself and then she's she could say i notice that when you don't go to shul on time uh, she has to just describe the behavior i notice that when you don't go to you're, when we're by my parents and you don't go to shul on at the same time as my father my father um my father becomes upset my father becomes disappointed okay and that's not your problem my father's feelings are not your problem but i I get uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable because I respect you. And I, it's really important to me that my spot, my father re respect you. And this is how he, how he, this is one of the things for him that, that uh, qualifies as respect. It's being on on time. So then her comes her, she's getting in touch with her need. And then she says, so I'm wondering if when we're by my parents, if you would be okay with, going on time just for for me because i had this need then she's centering the need within her the feelings and the need within herself and he's giving him an opportunity to be there for his lady to be there for his wife which is much more enticing than him being shamed for being a latecomer if he's shamed for being a latecomer 
that emotional experience of shame is just going to move him further away from responding to her. And that's, that's not going to help. So whoever has, whatever the, whatever the experience is, wherever a person is, is triggered, so to speak, whether a person is uncomfortable, it's their job to make that U-turn from the other person who seems to be the problem back within him or herself, identify what it is that is uncomfortable, what the behavior is that makes them uncomfortable, okay? identify the feeling, the need that's there, and then make the request to their partner to be there for them. What's that's if, what if he says, sorry, it's too hard for me? Hmm. So again, it goes back to him. He says, I get you. I see how you want. It's challenging for me to wake up on time. It's challenging for me to, you know, I'm not used to that. And it's hard for me. Can we, can we figure something else out? Can we, can we talk about other, other possibilities, other ways that, that maybe you feel like I can engender more respect that would help you feel like I'm, that I'm respected, that would help you feel like I'm respected in your family, right? It, 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 I, it doesn't have to be a yes. He's allowed to say it doesn't work for me. But you're now in a space, hopefully, of where there's more of we're doing this together. I have this need. I have this feeling. I have this need. Can, you, can we help each other? And I'm, I'm hopeful that a couple that wants to do that for one another, they'll be very ingenious. They'll be very creative. They can figure things out. When you put those two people together that are working towards, towards, towards the same thing, beautiful things can happen. It's when they get into that power struggle of, of, you know, you're the problem. No, you're the problem, the blame. Then nothing creative happens there because they're in their, they're in their reptile brain. They're in their defensive, you know, fight or flight mode that nothing, nothing um, redemptive, nothing good ever comes out of that. Nothing, nothing, no solution ever comes out of that. It's just two people that become more and more entrenched in them having to be right because now they are, um, they're defended. They're not safe. Ray Bloom, let's go to the yeah. next five question. Okay, you're, you. you're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, uh, my question is, uh, I've been married for three years now and my husband moves from New York to Florida to live with me. He left his job there. And since then he has not been working. He said he's looking for a job, but you know, almost three years passed and uh, he only contributes to food bills and everything else is on me. So, and that's really taking a toll on me. And I told him many times that, you know, I'm not okay with it, but nothing seems to work. And then the other issue is that um, long, long time friends that I have, and sometimes if I wanna see them, he always gives me a hard time that I should not be going to them, that they are not good for me. And I feel like, you know, I'm just being controlled all the time and, you know, just uh, really, you know, makes me feel very uncomfortable that uh, he isolates me from my social circle. Okay. Yeah. Those are two really big questions. I, I want, the first one I'm not so, I, I would like you to may perhaps repeat because I'm not sure I got the question. The second one, I think I got more. I don't think we'll have time. I don't know. I'm not running the show here, but I, maybe just one or the other we can do because those are two. So is it is your name Stella? 
Yes. Okay. So Stella, can can we start with the second question first, and then and then we'll we'll see what where we go. Is that okay? Sure. So okay. I, I have a long time friends, and sometimes once in a while I want to go in and see them. Uh, and then my husband gives me a hard time that I should not be seeing them. If you get married, you, you know, you, you should not have friends anymore. You should be just with your husband. And uh, uh, for me, it's, it's important to, to have my space and to go out sometimes with my girlfriend or something. And I feel like I'm being controlled by, you know, this person that he does not allow me or gives me a hard time when I do go out once in a while to see my girlfriend or something. I get it. Okay. So have you, when you've tried to communicate with your husband about your, your under, very understandable desire to, to, to be with your friends, longtime friends, people that you know well and, and you connect with, and what, how, does, how does that conversation go if you've had it? They are not good for you. They, you know, they bring you bad energy. You know, they're just bad people. You should not be around them. Okay, okay. It's understandable that you would experience that as controlling because um, these are your friends. He doesn't have to hang out with them. Um, it's not his. He, so it makes sense that you would want to be able to engage in those relationships. Um, without, without speaking with your husband, right? I'm speaking only with you. I, I would want to know, first of all, your husband's world and what feels threatening to him to help to understand that a bit more, why he feels like he has to assert control over, um, over your relationships outside the marriage. I'd want to understand that a bit more. At the same time, um, it is, I, I think it is very understandable. And um, well, let me ask you this, Stella. Yeah. No, they are not from people, and this is his uh, rational behind it. Okay, okay, that's more information. So he's so he's concerned that that them not being from is going to influence you, right? Okay, okay. So that's important, right? So that's important. Is so that I don't know your husband's name, but I would I'd want to I'd want to speak I'd want to ask him. I'd say you know Shmuel. Tell me more about what's scary about that for you. I'd, I'd want to understand more about that. Um, and I'd want to speak with you more about what's important about maintaining those friendships, even though I guess you're also, you're, you're I don't know if, if you've become more from, and therefore these are old relationships or what the nature of that, but why it's important for you to maintain those relationships and help the two of you move into a space where you can understand what's at stake for the other person so you can honor it, so you can reassure Shmuel that I know you're concerned and it makes sense because you don't want it to jeopardize. At the same time, I, I, I feel confident that, I, I, that that's not going to happen and these people are still very important to me. So you can be there for him in his need and, 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 and respond to it. And at the same time, be free to engage in the relationships and he can honor your need to be in those in, in, in to still engage in those relationships now let me say very clearly there are people and i don't know your husband so this is not him okay but there are people that for whatever reason they are not they they instead of acknowledging their own fear of what might happen their own vulnerability they will go to a place of because it's right 
because it's true, because it's because it is this is the way to be. And they will give a whole bunch of intellectual arguments as to why they are right. That will never lead to any place fruitful. Okay, that's just them defending themselves to, to acknowledge that there's a vulnerability here that I'm scared that, you know, if you if you do spend a lot of time with them, maybe you'll go back to, to being more like them. And then where will I be? And I'll feel like I'll lose you, right? It, that is all very, that's relational stuff that can be worked with. But if you go to that place of like, because it's true and you can't, and you can't get the person to move from that, they're just sure that they're right and you can go. So then another, then that we'd have to take a different path. Then. And then there's, there's a question of, of whether you can, you can continue to be in a relationship with somebody that it, it is all about them and all about their worldview and there is no flexibility or openness to another human being and if that's the case there is no flexibility and and then well we'd have to go from there but the first step is always to try and help someone take the elevator down into their experience understand it more so they can get into touch with the vulnerability that's there and then be able to share that with their partner so their partner can respond to it. And they then move into, move into a relational space. I'm not sure if your husband is, is someone that would want to do that or be open to that, but that would, be, that would be ideal. And then you can move together through this issue as opposed to it becoming something that pulls you apart. Does that make any sense, Stella? Yes, no, of course, of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, do we want to try the first question or do you want, do you want to give other people airtime? I mean, you, you tell me, gentlemen. I think we should spend a few minutes on it. Um, her husband doesn't want to go to work or maybe claims he is trying, but it's not working. So Stella, would you mind going back to repeating your first, the first half of your Yes, so we, we got married three years ago. Okay. He moved from New York to Florida. That's where I live. And okay. he left his job and he has not been working since that time. He said he's looking for a job, but he, you know, he only contributes to food bills and everything else is on me. So I expressed him many times that it's not okay for me and he's not fulfilling a kituba, but it's not, you know, this conversation is not going anywhere. He said, well, I'm looking, I will, but it's, okay. you know, it's been like this for quite a long time to me. Okay. And, uh, makes me feel very uncomfortable. To, to continue, you know, living like this. Okay, so you're having a hard. There's, you're you're living together now in Florida. You're yeah. you're carrying that you're carrying the brunt of the the Parnassa and and um, making ends meet. He can, he's not working. He's not looking for. Well, he's looking for work, but he hasn't found work. Right. right. And when you tried to express to him that it's it's a lot for you that and you you he's not there. His response is I'm looking. Right. Okay. I, I I tell you, I feel a little bit uncomfortable when it comes a little bit uncomfortable, um, because I'm getting a picture of your husband, which is probably not true, and I I want I would want to hear for him what is what's his world. Does he where is he in all this? Does does he see how this is weighing on you? Have you? Is he able to acknowledge how it's overwhelming for you to carry all that you're carrying? Um, 
is he suffering from some from from depression? There might, there might there might be so much going on for him that is preventing you from from having a conversation which which moves you towards um, supporting each other. And I think whatever I tell you, it, 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 it's it's very likely not going to be helpful because I do not know this gentleman's world. And I would want to know what is he struggling with? What, is it is it just hard to find a job? Is he having is he is he having mental is he having um, mental health struggles? Right? What is happening for him? So maybe the best I can say for you, Stella, is you know to to ask your husband if he'd be willing to work together on your relationship, right? To maybe go to see a therapist um, or a rub or somebody that can that can support you um, because it sounds like it's an awful lot. And seeing if seeing if maybe he'll get support for himself or or whether he's willing to meet you and work on the relationship together. I don't think I me giving you a unilateral fix, just speaking with you is going to be um, is going to be ultimately helpful to you without really hearing where where he's at so i don't i hope that you don't feel like i'm deflecting the question i just don't feel comfortable answering it and um knowing not knowing where that's going to go thank you okay okay so we'll go to the next question here and this is going to take a different spin mm -hmm. here we are this is somebody sent in my wife over the past few years well been married over 10 years her level of yiddishkeit has fallen which i have been pretty okay with until I was seeing her watching more and more inappropriate movies and the last year pornography on occasion. Mm -hmm. This is the point that is really bothering me. I'm not okay with it. I feel this will lead to other marriage issues like affairs and other things. Mm -hmm. My therapist tells me I cannot be controlling husband. Um, doesn't say clear what the therapist said, but it says I am falling apart. I'm feeling that my marriage will be coming to an end soon because I'm not putting my foot down on this big issue. What advice can you give me to have her realize this is going to destroy our marriage and our family? So, you, so I don't know who wrote this question, but if you listen to the question, just the last part I really caught was like, what advice can you give me to, to get her to, to realize? Realize, right. So you can see in that it's kind of like the the echoes of what I was speaking about earlier is that I, not I nor anyone else can get her to realize anything. You can't get her to realize, and I can't get her to realize. It's not we don't have the power for that. The place perhaps to enter here, first of all, to you know, I want to acknowledge the person who asked this question that it makes total sense that you are disturbed by what she's watching, by not only by what she's watching, but perhaps by the deterioration in her Yiddishkeit. Maybe when you met, you had expectations of what your marriage was going to be about religiously, what you were going to watch, not watch. And if she makes, she, for whatever reason, starts to act differently, that, that can feel understandably really threatening. And your feelings around this are completely valid because you you need you want you hope that you are going to be on the same page and you're building a life together i don't know if you have children but that also comes into play and um, impacts everything around you so your feelings around your concerns are completely valid now 
if your wife is is engaging in these other pursuits, these other videos, there's something there that something some need that 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 experience is fulfilling for her. I don't know what that is exactly, but but it's very possible that it's an it's an exit for her. It's an escape for her from things that she's experiencing internally or within your relationship or both, right? It's some type of, of solution to um, an, um, a distress or an unmet need, things that she's been experiencing in the relationship or within herself. And this somehow answers that. Now, ultimately, it's not, it's, not a, it's not an answer, but for now, it's it's serving a purpose for her. So that's where we would have to go. We'd have to really get our bearings with the relationship as to what's been happening with you folks for the past for the past few years. What's been happening for the past ten years? What's your relationship like? What's that? How's your friendship? How do you feel with each other? Are you able to enjoy intimacy together? What's getting in the way? We'd have to explore the whole. The whole dynamic of your relationship to see where how did this become a solution? How did how did um, Leia you know, start to decide that this is an exit that serves me? Right, because my again my my assumption is if the relationship with the two of you was working well and it was really you were feeling nourished and there's that intimate space, then there is no need for that. Now, again, I don't know if she's willing to do that work. If, if she's not willing to, to, then there's another conversation as to whether the relationship will work for you. And that, that might be a very tough decision. But if she's not willing to acknowledge how her engaging in those, those viewing activities affects you and feels like a violation of the terms of your relationship, and she's not willing to or able to recognize that, then other difficult decisions might need to be made. I don't, I don't, I didn't hear that we're at that point yet. So the first thing would be, is Leia able to explore what might be missing in our relationship? Am I willing to do that? Are we able to do that together? And um, that would be the starting point. Again, the exit of the, the movies are all these things that she's doing and maybe also the, the um, deterioration in her religious observance these are all symptoms. We want to understand what the real core issue is and address that. Okay. Here is the next one. I just got married and my husband is out only in the morning, morning hours. Mm -hmm. Claims that Shana Rishona, he wants to be home more, mm -hmm. be there for me. I personally feel a little stifled because he's around too much. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give me any space. Mm -hmm. I feel that he is he that he is the one who needs me, needs me so badly and can't let go of being together with me. I know I know I should wait wait it out a little, hope mm -hmm. things get better, but I don't want to resent him in the future. Can you please help me? Okay, the great question, and I appreciate this question. It's being you know we we often stereotype men as being the ones that, are, that need more space and women that want more closeness, but it's not necessarily true. There are relationships or many relationships where it's, it's reversed. 
and um, this is one of them. This the person who's asking the question is an example. So I, I like that that that's bring it's, that's being brought out. So it sounds like he mentioned mentioned Shana Rishona, but it's very likely that he, for whatever reason, has more of a need for closeness um, and being around one another, and she needs more space because she's the one that's asking the question. Excuse me. So she's the one that's disturbed. She's the one that's distressed, and therefore it's you know. Using the framework we've been using tonight, it's her responsibility to be able to, to, to try and let him into her world. So that would, again, just using the formula we've been using, we'll, we'll kind of to, to, is to say, to have that conversation, to sit, around, sit, sit down with him and to, and to say to him, um, you know, Ruven, I know that it's really important for us, to, for you to be together with me. It's Shana Rishona. And I also very much like spending time with you. Um, at the same time, when I when I notice that you that you uh, come home at you know at twelve o'clock, I start to feel I start to feel a little bit like I need more space. I feel like a little bit more. I start to feel a little bit uncomfortable um, because I, I've always been a very independent person, and I find myself just sometimes needing space to to, to feel calm, to feel settled. Whatever the need is there, it's like, that's how I think. That's how I explore. That's I, whatever the need is there. So I'm wondering if, and then that come, there comes the request, is if, you know, maybe you can come home, you know, at this time so they can have that space. So she communicates her need because she's right. If she's unable to communicate that need and help him see how he can be there for her and ultimately create a better relationship because he's seeing her need, which will lead to the closeness that he desires, it will start to result in resentment. It will start to build resentment. And um, that's, that's, always, uh, that's, a, that's, that's always poison for the relationship. So it's upon her, it's her responsibility to help him see how she feels, what she needs, make the requests, and hopefully he's going to want to respond to that because he wants to be for his wife. He wants connection. He wants to, he wants to, 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 to love her. Um, and, you know, that's, that, at least we'll give him the opportunity to. He might feel very guilty. He might feel guilty? She, she. Oh, he, she might feel guilty. And then talking about how is he going to take it if he takes it the wrong way. If he takes it, he shuts down and he's upset. And because he's the one who really needs it, like she said in the question, if he's the one that really needs it, and now she's pushing him away, mm -hmm. and then you know, if he can't express himself, yeah, then it's, yeah. So it's a So it's these are what couples need. To, these are the conversations that couples should be encouraged to have, not avoided because there's emotional distress with them. And it's going back to like the frame that we started this tonight's program with, which is. Guys, relationships are really hard <laughs> and they're filled with possibilities for growth. But just because there's emotional discomfort in something, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you should shy away from it. Because those are the conversations that as you struggle through them and you may need support and you should get support and you should have support because they're important conversations. So if you don't feel like you can have them with each other, so reach out to somebody. There's so many good therapists, there's so many good professionals out there that can help you have this conversation. We want to encourage couples and not have them shy away from it. And she should be encouraged that it might be a converse, hard conversation to have. There's no, there's no question. 
But if you just avoid the conversation, how are you going to start to feel? And she's going to say, I'll probably start to get really resentful. And then what will happen? Well, then I'm going to probably pull away more and become more frustrated. And then what's going to happen? All right. So just kind of lead her down. Like if we just go with the avoidance, avoidance uh, uh, approach, like what's that going to lead to? Then you're really going to hurt him, right? If that's that, what is that going to lead? You're really going to, you know. So this is our best bet for moving you guys into a place um, where you can possibly learn to understand each other and to be there for one another. You know, we speak a lot about understanding, like you spoke about Menachem in the introduction about understanding each other. There is no way to have conversations that lead to understanding without a little bit of tension and friction and discomfort. That's that's probably with healthy people. I think we should talk a little bit about there are times mm -hmm. we've heard in the past that sometimes bringing up a conversation with someone and they there's no one to talk to. Okay, sure. Um, not so healthy. Sure. So there's two, there could be two, that's, we're only taking a snippet of that. When someone says, there's no one to talk to. So the first question I ask is, well, when you try to talk to her or try to talk to him, what, what does it sound like? Because when she says it's no one to talk to, it may be that the way that it's being approached really shuts down the possibility of a response. Okay. So everyone sees things through their own, through their own eyes. And the most difficult work to do is to take responsibility for my side of the relationship of this relational space. To, to how do I engage here that is going to give him or her the ability to meet me in this relational space so we can we can nurture it together. It's both of our responsibility to nurture that relational space. It's not it's 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 not a one it's not a unilateral job. People need to take care of it together. Um, so yeah. Okay, Mary de Bloom. Thank you. Next live question. You're on. Hi. Um, hi. hi, how are you? So basically, my question is, like, I like to listen to a lot of marriage speeches, and a lot of times they're like, the only way you have a good marriage is if, like, you get together once a week. And I'm like, the only way you have a good marriage, like, I listened to one recently, and they're like, you have to make a meeting every Sunday and decide what you're doing that week. And, like, another time they're like, oh, you have to let them compliment each other every night. So that basically my husband is very like, not like kind of like a scheduled kind of person. And like every time I tell him what I'm listening to, he's like, oh God, like, what is this? Like, he kind of thinks it's like not, he just makes fun of it. Like he thinks it's dumb. And then I'm just like, oh my God, but then we're not gonna have a good marriage. Cause like, I just learned, listen to this. And like, this is what it says. Um, So I, I know it's like, he kind of feels like it's not real, I guess. I don't really know like what, he just is like, what do you mean? Like, if we feel like we're going to come to each other, we do that. If we feel like we want to get together, like, if it works out, we will. Like, it doesn't have to be so, whatever. So what's your opinion on that? So let me make sure I understand the question. Can you, can, it sounds like your your husband does, is, is he doesn't, he's resistant to doing the things that you feel or you've heard will help the relationship. He doesn't, he's not on the same page as you. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys like you hear you guys watch a marriage class together, or you maybe you watch a marriage class and you tell him this is what we need to do to have a better relationship, he's like, uh, whatever. He doesn't. He he doesn't. He doesn't buy into. He's not buying into that with you. He doesn't. He doesn't 
value it to the same extent as you do. No, he values having a good marriage, but he doesn't like feel like these things are like, um, oh, he doesn't think these things are helpful. He's actually right here, so I'm asking him, but. He doesn't think that, he doesn't think that, that it's helpful to do those things? Yeah, like to have like a very like consistent thing. Like I heard this other like class on Coach Menachem and the guy was like, yeah, you should every day like say like what you love appreciate about a person every night. So like I was let's say doing it sometimes, but like he wasn't, he was just like, whatever. Okay. Like, I guess he wants it to be like more natural, not right. like very. He so, is your husband, your husband wants it to be more natural? Yeah. Okay, I get it, I get it. He doesn't want it to be like, oh, like every single week we're going to do this. Every single night we're going to do that. Or like, but then when I'm listening to that, I was like, oh my God, like, why can't we do that? Like, I, I'm also in general, I'm more like scheduled and, and he's just more like, you know, in the spur of the moment kind of thing. More like go with the flow. Okay. So I would, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here. I don't know because I'm not, I'm not speaking with both of you, but your, your husband may be sensitive to the pressure that that induces. And <laughs> He may feel he may feel it, it may feel pressurized to him and he may shy away from pressure. It sounds like he probably does. He's like he likes the things to be a little bit more um, easygoing. And I think I mentioned this earlier. People don't move into spaces that feel uncomfortable. They don't choose that. It's the, ner the, the nervous system automatically moves us away from uncomfortable experiences. So if he feels there's anxiety that the whole the relationship is anxiety ridden, like you need to do this and we need to do that. And if we don't do that, we need to have these conversations, then he's probably like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And it's uncomfortable for him. And he can't he can't do probably the very thing which might come more natural to him, which is to say, wow, you look really beautiful tonight. Or, you know, let's 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 play a game. Um, or whatever else because the space is all filled up and he just then backs away. So for someone like that, and that's, he's not choosing that. He's just wired that way. And many people are, um, he just, he needs space. And I know on your side, I'm imagining that on your side, giving him that space might be hard because you probably say to yourself, if I give you this space, it's probably just gonna remain space. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you're and you're not gonna and you're not gonna you're not actually you're just gonna probably be in your own world and we're never gonna be together so that then your anxiety comes up and you're like okay i gotta do something um so i get while you while you would why you would pressurize why you would assert uh, assert that pressure um and at the same time i guess we're talking about you and your husband coming together to take care of one another's needs here his his you know him understanding you that your need for closeness and for taking that time out and you understanding him that like when i feel pressured to do it it is really uncomfortable for me and i'm more likely to pull away from that um, as you start to have that conversation and again again using a bit of this formula that i'm talking about that maybe for you just to, to communicate keeping it really within yourself um, you know, I noticed that when we don't spend a lot of time together, uh, when we don't spend, we don't have a date night once a week, I start to feel really distant from you. And I have a need, like I have a need to spend time with you. And I'm wondering if, you know, we could do this on, so you're reaching for him in a way that 
gives him a chance to meet your need as opposed to being blown out of the water by the intensity of the anxiety and the pressure that will automatically have him shirking away from that because it's uncomfortable and um yeah does that make any sense yeah okay but also like let's say if we don't like i was just listening to this speech it was like 10 commandments of marriage and he's like you have to do a weekly meeting every single week like to make sure that you know what you're doing and he's like this is what we're doing we're working and we're going to sleep like why do we have to discuss so my question I, is like, is it actually like true that you don't have a good marriage like if you don't do that because i don't need to keep pushing like like, is, uh, are these things like true or they're just like? So I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, I don't know about those 10 commandments. I am not familiar enough to speak to that, but I will speak to this, which is that behavioral interventions, meaning like, this, you know, having a, a date night, carving these things out, you know, doing things that are more compliments. These are, these are wonderful ideas and they are helpful. They're very helpful to relationships, having people tune into each other and putting a, putting a reminder in your phone to text one another. And if it's just a heart or something, those are all helpful. When a couple is distressed emotionally, not only do these behavioral interventions, are they not helpful, they will often lead to more distress which I think is what you're describing. It's just like, we're supposed to be doing this and we're not doing this. And then at least the more pressure and um, then that cycle, that emotional cycle that I was describing a few minutes ago will only become stronger because what's, what's the challenge for, the, for such a couple that's, is being able to emotionally connect with one another and any any behavioral intervention is meeting the brain at at the wrong level. You need to work with the emotional brain, the limbic system, the emotional needs. And behavioral interventions are uh, the prefrontal cortex, and um, they they don't they don't help. They only actually can often exacerbate the situation. If a couple is relatively healthy and they don't have this cycle. Right, that and they, they, there's, there hasn't really, there's still emotional safety. So behavioral interventions can be very helpful. But if a couple is distressed and this emotional disconnection starts to set in, behavioral interventions are not effective and they can actually be harmful. And that's why a lot of, I, I see couples sometimes, which, you know, they've been to several therapists. And those therapists might be good for certain couples, but this couple really is at the point they're married where there's enough. Of a, of a distressing cycle and emotional emotional disconnection and no safety and we're both they're experiencing each other as so threatening that any behavioral fix will just put more fuel on the fire and why, why those therapists are well-intentioned they just weren't really meeting the couple at, at the level where the couple was needing to be met so behavioral interventions are great if it's the if it's the right couple, if it's the couple that needs more, then it's not going to be helpful. Thanks a lot. Okay, my pleasure. Here's another interesting question that came in. I wasn't going to send them my question because many people have told me many different reasons to stop. I am addicted to porn. I don't see why it should be a problem in my marriage. Mm -hmm. I'm still a bugger, and once I'm married, I plan to stop. So what's so? Is there a question he here? He wants to know. I guess he's still open to listen, maybe to one more person. 
why what's the reason you should stop that's going to convince him that it's that it's going to be harmful to his future marriage so i'm not this is my I, i'm not in the in I'm not in the business of convincing anybody anything. Um, I guess the place to begin would would perhaps be just to, to ask this this Bakar about what does he what does he imagine marriage is about, right? That he thinks that this um, pornography use is. That he does that he does now he doesn't see it as an issue which will stop right well what you're doing now okay it's like there's going to be two different two different worlds like you're going to become a different person then um the things that you're doing now one of the things that's damaging about pornography use is that it, it's very self-focused right that whole that, that whole experience is I am using a, a, a blessing and a gift. This is where the, of which has the capacity for the greatest kedusha because it can create the deepest and most intimate connection with another human being. And I'm I using it entirely for self gratification, um, with very with with and it's focused entirely on myself. And I'm doing that over and over and over again, as many times as it's over and over again. That whole experience has an effect on, on the human being. So then when he is now in a marriage and he says, I'm going to stop. Now, whether or not it's true that he stops, I won't even go there. But how much, how easy will it be then for you to take this same experience and channel it into what it's supposed to be intended for? You've been using it over and over again for yourself. And now you want to use it to create a relational experience with your wife and to, and to connect deeply and intimately in this space. I mean, I'm just being somewhat rational. Like, I can't see how that is not going to have an impact. Now, if you say, well, I, that's why I said that, like, do you see marriage, the purpose of marriage uh, as that connection? And maybe he hasn't even thought about that. So the first thing is to say, well, what do you see as, as, the 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 tachlis of this this um, experience, right? In marriage or even outside, like it just it, you know, what's the tachlis of this, this experience? What is it supposed to facilitate? And um, then maybe going into like how might you what you're being doing now create much more difficulty in making that happen with with your with your wife? Now he may. Not even be able to, to connect to this that's that idea that it can be used right and that might be hard for him um so it's a you know my hope is that the the when you're speaking about a jew a jew has an has a has a national yearning for kedusha Sometimes it just has to be pointed out to him, like what what something is supposed to be for, and whether that's that's um, um, using Torah sources itself, which can often be helpful, especially with a shiva bacher. And like, I don't know this person, but like, that might be helpful to see that this is what the purpose of marriage is, and then he can start to connect to that. That's really the that 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 experience is supposed to be the kodesh kedoshim. 
right? That is the place where um, it's the nuclear center of everything. And as he connects to that idea, little by little, then what he's doing now, he may start to see as being um, increasingly problematic. Um, but at least to start the conversation with him. But certainly it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So I don't, if someone's asking me to convince them of something, I'm already way, way behind. And I don't, usually, I don't know about you, Menachem, but I don't usually find that much success in, in, uh, in that realm. I just try and plant some seeds and then see once the suffering starts to um, starts to happen, because that's what will happen. When that person starts to experience the pain of this, this type of behavior, then maybe there'll be something ready that's there and that, that there can be a possibility for you know moving in a different direction. I want to take like a, just an interesting question over here. It's very short, but I'm going to a little bit expand on it. Um, questions like this. Um, couples have been married for many years and they've been going to therapy and the wife is feeling that everything in the therapist's room, they make up from plans or things to happen or different ways of communicating and everything looks great. But whatever, when they walk out, it's like when they get them as if nothing happened, just like general, like, is that the normal way therapy works? Is that common? She's just seeing no results, even though they right. worked in right. right. So this this question is kind of relates back to um, the live question that we heard a, a little while ago. It's very likely that the, the therapist is, you know, they're talking about good things, they're having great ideas, there's there's suggestions, there's good suggestions, they seem to receive it. But the place where this couple needs to be supported is not there. So the, so the therapist is is mis is misattuning to what the, the need is. It's likely that that couple is suffering from uh, emotional disconnection, um, then that need, that's what needs to be addressed. And, um, you know, that's why they're not seeing, they're not getting a, a foothold and in, in seeing much progress. So that's a possibility. So you're saying that in an emotional sense, they're, they're, they're doing everything logical, do this, do this, say that. Yeah. Let's go on a date three times a week, like the girl was saying before, also like very technical. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is, the lack of emotional safety and connection that has developed in the relationship that when they leave the office, all the good things that they talked about, they go back to their, they go back to their separate worlds. They go back to their, their silos. They go back to, you know, the, the places that they were before um, each one in their position polarized from one another and all the good ideas that they discussed become, um, you know, unfortunately wasted. So, the way, what, the way I see it is I, I, I always, generally speaking, if someone shows up in my office, I always start with the lower, with the, the emotional work, because that's generally where things need to happen. Um, if I see, if, if, because what will happen is if a couple's less distressed, that emotional work will just be a lot easier and it'll be really powerful. And then when that happens, all the behavioral stuff usually just flows right from it. And I, they don't need me for that because it's natural. Once you start to connect, the behavioral interventions are natural outgrowths of feeling good with one another. We want to spend time together. We want to go on dates. We want to enjoy time together. We want to talk, whatever it is. Um, so I always, my, my go-to is always to begin with the emotional 
And if I see a couple is really like, you guys are really high functioning. You're not that distressed. So the emotional work is going to go really well. And then we can move right into some behavioral suggestions. And that's going to be a pretty quick process. I don't see that that often, by the way. That's less common. Um, and that goes back to what I said earlier. I wish it was more common because couples don't seek out support early enough, whether it's premarital or in the Shana Rishona, right? My colleague, Pina Fluke, remember we, she was on as well. Um, and, you know, that's the work, a lot of the work that she's doing. But a couple that starts to do that work earlier, then it, it just greases the wheel and uh, makes everything a lot smoother. Okay. So. Here's another one. My spouse and I are going through a pretty intense infertility issue, and we have opposite approaches on how to deal with the outside world that is moving on as we continue to wait. My husband wants to ignore the issue and not go to any grissom, eat at anyone's house with kids. Um, on the other hand, I have the opposite feeling. I hate it when people don't tell me when they're having a baby. I want to feel involved with everyone else, even though I seem to be missing something major that everyone else has. The problem mm -hmm. is that extreme differences in outlooks we have, what makes us um, basically when, when he's happy, I'm not. When I'm in a happy situation, he's not. We can't right. be in the same place because of different ways looking at it. Yeah, it's a hard situation. It's a hard situation. Each of you, each of you is dealing with the pain of infertility in the way that you manage pain naturally. It sounds for him, it's more of an avoidance strategy to withdraw and to like kind of like put your head in the sand and almost pretend like to not expose myself to the pain that seeing people that are having grisim and uh, shalom zakhar, whatever else it is like that, that to avoid that experience. So I don't have to experience that pain. And she um, she has a different strategy where she needs the connection. So she can she she needs the connection, but she wants to she she wants to connect to the energy of children and 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 community. And so you have two different people that are managing this painful experience differently. So there is no quick fix when it comes to these situations. Um, each each of their each of the ways that they are dealing with the pain is valid. What needs, to, what needs to happen, the hope that what can happen is that each of them can be seen in, like, again, taking that metaphor of taking the elevator down into your experience. What happens to you when you go to a bris to talk to the husband? It's just really hard. See, I just, you know, taking him down into his experience of, why, of, of, of pain and then helping him share his world with her so that she can be there with him and, and um, understand him, validate that as being like, I get why you don't want to go. And now already in that they are moving towards one another in the same way, same way with her. What it means to her to be still connected to community events around, uh, around children and um, you know the simple that comes along with that. And her sharing what it would be like for her to not have that and what it, what it feels like for her to be to have that and so she so he can be there for her in that experience and they can figure that out together they can be there for each other in their in the in, in their pain and in their and their longing and um i i believe in couples in their their um what's the word 
the resourcefulness to be able to, to do that once they get each other, once they see each other's pain, once it's shared. So the pain, because when, when I share my pain with somebody, it doesn't come across as threatening. And if you love me, it'll actually move you towards me. And that's the hope that that sharing their pain and their and how they manage it will move them towards one another so they can support and figure out how to how to navigate that situation. Hey, Rabbi Bloom, it's late at night. We're going to do one more live question and then we're going to go to the closing part, okay? Wonderful. One more live. Okay, um, I'm mute. There you go. There you go. Okay. Hi. Thank you. Um, so back to what you said before about um, behavioral interventions are good for healthy couples, but once the relationship is in distress, um, it won't be effective and almost always can do the opposite. So does this apply to all relationships? And how can we work on such a relationship that is already in distress when the behavioral things are not working out? Let's say a parent-child relationship. Okay. Okay. Um, um, Connie, is that? Is that... Mm -hmm. Okay. I got, a, I got an echo on the. Yeah, there's an yeah, echo. Let me on. just mute her. Okay. She's she's talking about her parents, you know, like parent relationship. Okay. So this is between Khani. This is between Khani and her parents. Her parents and the question was if I got it and and Khani, you'll jump back on if I'm not getting it, please. Otherwise, I'll take your silence as I am getting it that maybe therapists or people have suggested that you've tried behavioral interventions to build, a, to, to make things better. It maybe hasn't worked. And um, you know, I think your question is, 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 has it not worked because we really need to do that deeper work that you're talking about? Um, and if, we, if that's true, then how do we go about doing that? That's how I understand the question. You'll jump on if I'm not getting it. So I don't, I, I, I do not want to make any grand statements. Um, the way that behavioral interventions never work with in a distressed relationship, I'm sh I'm sure there's exceptions to that. The reason I say that is because neurologically, the way the brain is wired, the relational part of the brain is, the, is the, it's called the limbic system. And I'm not a neuro, neuro, neurologist, but I know a little bit about this just in terms of that is the part of the brain that facilitates emotional connection between human beings. A child has the limbic system pretty much developed, pretty, pretty well developed upon birth and in early, in, in early in infancy because a child needs the emotional connection with her caregiver that that's the that's the level that the intervention needs to take place at because that's how connection relational connection happens it happens at that frequency so when i said that behavioral interventions probably won't work it's because what's really needed here is the parent in this case to learn how to tune into the child's emotional world and very likely the blocks that the parent has emotionally and doing that because of the parent's own emotional deficits in their, in their relationships, most likely with their caregivers. So 
that's where the work and the, the support, if someone comes to me, they're coming to me for support. They need support in that emotional realm. And that's my job to meet them there and almost to become the, we'll say the meta limb, the, 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 the regulating force, right? The, 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 the regulating force for the emotional, um, the emotional communication in that relationship. That's my job. I have to use my nervous system, which is not triggered, which is not in that, in that, in that, um, intent in that in that dysregulated space to start to create the safety so that they this this parent and child can learn to understand one another and meet with one another and feel safe with one another in that in that um, at that frequency. So that's why I said what I said, um, and I hope that makes sense. It's really rooted in what we know about the brain. It's not even it's not psychology. It's physiology. Um, so that's the work you would want a therapist to do. Like Shimon Russell, when I know there's a lot of fans of Shimon Russell, that's why he is the approach that he takes in terms of the attachment-based approach, which is really, um, especially when it comes to parents and children, is the uh, that's where the attention needs to be given. Okay. Okay, let's go to closing, Rabbi uh, Bloom and. Uh... You'll end, I'm not going to go first, but I want you to leave after two hours. I want you to leave with a like a little take take home material for, for the island, okay? Okay, I'll do my best. Okay, first of all, big thank you, Rabbi Lazar Blue, first of all, for agreeing to come on very last minute and winging it. Really appreciate it. Tremendous awesome. tonight. I think we covered a lot of ground. Okay. And, uh, Bloom, you're always welcome back. So let me know what works for you. Next week, good. <laughs> and again, you, this year is 148. And if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp groups, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 and say my number. And I'll send you the flyers every Sunday for that cheer. If you want to sign up for the weekly email flyers and the information of the replays, go to menachembarnacle.com. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on the Zoom ID, we have different cheer and different topics. Please help spread the word. Um, next Sunday, July 19th, we have one of the best rebellion probably of all time, from Waterbury of Yosef Sonnenschein at 9.30. His topic is the art of trust, communicating with teens as emerging adults, how to build that repertoire, that relationship as they're going into that stage. Uh, it should be a powerful program. Please join us. Let people know about it and uh, join. Again, everything's recorded. Make sure will be on menachemberfel.com. If anybody has any questions for him, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Again, tonight's share 148. And if you want to listen to it on the phone lines, it'll be up tomorrow at 848-777-GROW. And Rabbi Bloom, if anybody wants to be in contact with you, how could they be in contact with you? What's your email, your website? Yeah, email is uh, eb at elazarbloom.com. My website is um, elazarbloom.com e-l-a-z-a-r-b-l-o-m.com the podcast i mentioned earlier relationships revisited it's on spotify it's on apple google you know all this the uh those hosts relationships revisited and that has episodes for couples for parents and for individuals it's all attachment based it's intersection with torah and um, they're short episodes about 10 minutes each and I'm hoping that can be helpful to people as well as another resource. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate that. Pleasure. Again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, the Liquid Scoop, Elian Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyle Kaufman from JCN. We're going to go to closing. Menachem, you're going to start off first. And again, just for anybody who wasn't here in the beginning, um, tonight's share was uh, was um, sponsored by another podcast. That's how that's how big we're getting. We're getting sponsored by other podcasts. 
It's called the Jews Next Door, and the guest this week was Rav Shimon Rosal that you mentioned. Um, Menachem has sent the email where to listen to the episode and all the information. So Menachem, please add it and please look up the Jews Next Door. Um, I guess on all the you know Spotify and all those other places. And Menachem, let's go to you first for closing, and then we're gonna wrap it up with Rabbi Bloom, Rabbi Bloom. I'm giving you two minutes now. It's a long time. So you got it. Coach so I first want to thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Bloom, for coming on tonight. We've covered a lot of topics. And um, just by sitting here and listening, the way you talk about these probably heavy, heavy situations that people go through, but I think that's part of it. Um, you know, people might think, how realistic is it? You know, you could sit here and think about it, talk about it. But when it comes to actual getting through it, you know, it's much harder. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, like we heard, it could be hard. And it mm -hmm. is um, leaning into some uncomfortable uh, situations when you open up these conversations. And again, if somebody needs, you know, a third party, which could make it easier, like we heard in the beginning, uh, somehow to take away the shame, you know, many people right. have the shame, but um, this is, and like we heard, if it's meant to be this way, and we're here to work on it, and this is what Hashem wants from us, so then why hold back? This is, you know, we all want to do the right thing. Right. So um, all I can say is, you know, give bracha for all of those, to be able to take that next step, go to that uh, uncomfortable spot, get out of your comfort zone, with the right help, with the right intervention, whoever it is, and amidst Hashem, we should grow. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for that. Uh, I've got two minutes, Asher said, so I'm going to go. No, and... no, no, no. You got an hour. What you <laughs> so I just want to echo what you said, Menachem, in terms of how, how much um, Hashem is believing in each and every one of us to do this work, and the trust that Hashem has that we will be able to um, to make it happen as we support each other. This is not something that any of us has to do alone. You can see by the success of your podcast and how um, therapy in general is being embraced by the Jewish community. It is this is what we need at this point in our history. This is what is this is like the the place that we need to go to embrace the difficulty of connection because. Isn't that what it's all about? What it's all about is creating that creating that dwelling place for Hashem. And that is going to be a the most beautiful expression of unity. What's getting in the way of that? And my, my hypothesis is, is that the hardest and most difficult, um, we'll say the, the last, the last, uh, what's the word? that last challenge, that last obstacle is to do this work of emotional work, to learn how to embrace vulnerability, to learn how to embrace that we all struggle so that we can support each other. Because it's as soon as we move into that space of acknowledging that I need you, you need me, we need to support each other, then there's no more shame in that. No one's got it figured out. Hashem did not set things up for anybody to have to have things figured out. We're all in process of moving towards greater and deeper appreciations of our of, of ourselves and of the, the people that we interact with. And when we encounter, which we will encounter, challenges with that, 
we just kind of roll up our sleeves, we smile at each other, we embrace each other, and you know, I think that is going to be the the, the final hammer blow that's going to make it happen. So, kolakavot to all of us in in doing this brave work. There should be we should remove all the stigma that there is around this and recognize that this is what Hashem wants from us, because this is what we've been waiting for for thousands of years already is the connection and the unity and the achtus that um, we're all craving. So that's my bracha that we should continue to support each other and um, we'll make it happen. So thank you for again, giving me the chance. I know it was last minute. I'm glad we could do it. I'm hoping, hoping that it was beneficial and that as you guys continue your beautiful work in Avodah Sakhalish. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Bloom. It was amazing. Let's show us everybody next week, July 9th, Rabbi Yosef Sonnenshine from Waterbury. Same time, same place. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Have a good night.